Thank you, Brother Ray, for your prayers for us as a church. And good morning to all of those who have joined us for the first time. Good morning to our faith family that is watching us from different parts of the world. Thank you for joining us. We have been going through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we've been studying the parables of Jesus. And today we continue in that series, in that study series, as we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus as he ministered in his short three-year ministry. And most of the time, a lot of the time, while Jesus was ministering, he taught about the kingdom of God. Uh, basically, the kingdom of, of God has to do with the rule and reign of God in a person's life. It's not something physical. I know we've watched movies about the kingdom of God and we've seen these, these big castles and um, different kingdoms, but that's not what Jesus talks about. People enter the kingdom of God through faith and repentance. It's the invisible kingdom of God that rules and reigns in a person's life. Well, in today's lesson, Jesus teaches two parables about the kingdom of God and how it grows internally as well as externally. And we'll look at the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven in Luke chapter 13 from verse 18 to verse 21. So if you would take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 13. We will read those verses. If you don't have a Bible, we have on the screen as well. Verse 18. And Jesus said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Won't you pray with me? Oh, sorry, one more. Yeah, sorry, I got that wrong. <laughs> Won't you pray with me before we study the word together? Father, we ask for your help as we go into your word. We pray that the Spirit would teach us. We pray that the Spirit would open our ears and open our eyes and open our, our hearts this morning to receive your word and to obey your word and to respond. We pray, Father, that uh, you would allow us to be able to focus on you today as we worship you, even though it's virtually, Lord. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be joined together and your spirit, Lord, would revive our hearts and revive our souls as we, as we worship you in your word right now. So we ask for your help, Lord Jesus. I pray for your help as I preach. pray that the Spirit would not allow any of the words, any of your words, to fall to the ground today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So most believers have struggled with discouragement at one point or another in their, in their lives. Uh, this coronavirus pandemic has not helped with this. Now spare a thought for all of those who have graduated in 2020. Um, commencement ceremonies were cancelled, were postponed, or made virtual. Some schools uh, mailed out their diplomas instead of, of handing them out. Everything is suspended and nothing looks like the dreams that people had for their graduations. 
one of my friend's daughters was planning a large July wedding with relatives that were supposed to come from all parts of the world. And of course, with much tears and sorrow, the guest list had to be, had to be whittled down to 30 people and the reception scrapped. And the holiday trips have been cancelled. Family gatherings have all been cancelled. Um, but even us as a church, we faced much discouragement throughout this pandemic. Uh, we've, as pastors, have been discouraged. We've not been able to gather together with the sheep. We haven't been able to um, counsel and to edify and encourage each other. Um, we've all been discouraged in one way or another. I, I have faced discouragement uh, more than normal, wondering if everybody is doing okay. And I read an article recently by Carl Truman, who happens to be a, a professor at a seminary in the U.S., and he was comment, commenting on the current situation that we find ourselves in because of this pandemic. And that didn't help me when I, when I read this article. Let me read the article to you. He said, In conversation with many ministers, I have noticed one key concern again and again. How many Christians will return to church once COVID has stabilized? Well, it is unreliable at best at this point, but the figure often cited in my presence is 30%. Three out of every ten pre-COVID worshippers might stay away for good. One friend told me that his denomination leadership has informed its ministers that a third of its congregations might close within the next few months. He goes on to say, Many of us have heard people commenting on how watching a church service online at leisure on a Sunday or whatever other day of the week is most convenient to the consumer has proved rather attractive. So there are many discouraging statistics and commentary about the state of the church at the moment. And unfortunately, some of these statistics have a credible feel to them. What will be revealed when COVID finally settles down? That's the question heavy on my heart um, at the present. You know, some of our members have had to leave the, the UAE because They've lost their jobs and they've had to go back to their countries. Some people have left the church because they don't feel the need to gather together with the saints anymore. They are quite happy to watch um, online services. Some people have left the church be because they have shifted to other parts of the, the gulf in search of new jobs. So this thought really keeps me up late at night. What will be left of our church when, when COVID is done? And let's face it, it, it sometimes seems as if the other side is, is winning. And the world certainly is not getting better and better at the moment. And there are riots going on in different parts of the world. There are protests all over at the moment. And everywhere you look, it seems as if evil is prospering. Churches are closing. Missionaries are being forced to leave the field because their support is running dry. And the gospel doesn't seem to be thriving anywhere at the moment. And if we look at what we ourselves have accomplished for the Lord, it seems so insignificant in the face of the, the huge task of establishing God's kingdom on this earth. And it's easy for, for me as a pastor to think about what little 
has been done in our, in our efforts in the kingdom of God and how few have been transformed even through my years of ministry and it's very easy to grow discouraged. But the parables in our text are here to encourage us. The parables here are to encourage everyone who serves the Lord Jesus Christ with the simple truth that God has already won and His team is going to win. And this mustard seed will grow into a, into a tree with, with birds that are nested in its branches. And the leaven will, will spread throughout the, the whole world. And we have that promise in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 which tells us the kingdom of the world shall become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He will reign forever and ever. And that is why we sing songs about that because of this wonderful promise. So my first point this morning is from verse 18 and verse 19. And it is Jesus will triumph over all. Jesus will triumph over all. Well, Luke here records for us two parables. But there's a context because we see in verse 18 the word therefore. And as someone has said, when you see a therefore, find out what it is there for. Okay? So here we are in this context. We see in the previous section, Jesus has healed a woman with with a disabling spirit, a miraculous healing, a supernatural healing. But after that supernatural miracle of mercy, a hypocritical religious leader, he stands up to, to criticize Jesus. And this was not the first time that this has happened in Jesus' ministry. We know that these opponents of Jesus always thought that they knew better than he did. And they always were trying to contradict him by displaying their, their limited wisdom and their limited understanding of the times by, by using the examples of things that happened around them, like the, the massacre of the, the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and the Tower of Siloam that had fallen and killed 18 people. So with this opposition here, Jesus, after his miracles, after his, his miraculous healing of this woman, he asks this question in verse 18. Look at verse 18. What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? So this is the context of the question. And remember, the Lord is speaking to His disciples they with Him, and, th and there's a larger crowd as well. And He has just done this amazing miracle for this woman who has been under tremendous burden and the satanic oppression for almost 18 years and the response of the religious leaders of the, the day who were present there is just contempt contempt for Jesus as well as this lady who's just been healed and I think Jesus is taking the time here to encourage his disciples this is the context that they find themselves in and this is the context that we find ourselves in a little discouraged maybe a lot discouraged maybe a little despondent, but Jesus takes the time this morning to encourage us with this wonderful parable. And he says, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged by their response to me. 
Don't think that just because the religious leaders of the day can see me do something like this and, and not only not get it, and not only not believe my message, and not only not understand who I am, but they can actually oppose me. And Jesus is saying, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged with all that you see around you. Don't be discouraged by that. And I, I, I really believe that Jesus knew that his disciples needed to hear these divine words of encouragement. Try and put yourself in the shoes of these disciples and try and understand how they must have been feeling at this time. Many of them had left their businesses. Many of them have left their, their way of life to, to stake everything on the fact that this, that this young carpenter who had turned preacher was none other than God's Messiah. Think about that. He didn't look like what everybody expected a Messiah to look like. He wasn't born to nobility. He wasn't from a palace. He wasn't a, a stately prince. He didn't have connections with all the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And he hadn't even been educated in the top schools, in their schools. He had no pedigree in the, in the worldly sense of the term. But yet the disciples had staked their lives on following this man who professed to be the very Son of God. And Jesus' powerful teaching was always followed by miracles or was precluded from, well, it was before the miracles were there to, to convince the people that he was in fact the one. That he was in fact the one. But I think many people expected Jesus to inaugurate his kingdom that he spoke about by overthrowing the Romans. Remember the Romans were the oppressors and they wanted this Savior, they wanted this Messiah that the Old Testament spoke about to deliver them, to deliver them from their oppressors and once again establish the throne of David again in Jerusalem. This is what all the Israelites wanted. But things weren't going according to expectation. The religious leaders were, were not lining up on his side. In fact, the leaders were growing increasingly hostile to the message of Jesus. And rather than trying to win them over, Jesus was always boldly confronting them by calling them hypocrites so that they were being humiliated. And in the middle of all this opposition, in the middle of this persecution and this doubt and the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus now, to encourage them, notice what he is doing. He is pointing them to the kingdom. He is pointing them and he is pointing us to the kingdom of God. In spite of small and seemingly insignificant beginnings, the gospel will prevail. And even though there is conflict and the task seems overwhelming, God's purpose through Christ will triumph. Look again at verse 19. Jesus' first parable is about a mustard seed. Read there with me. 
He said, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. So over here, I have a little jar of mustard seeds. And these are the smallest mustard seeds, well, the smallest seeds that I know. In comparison, I'm not sure if you can, if you can even see that. I'm supposed to put that close to my face. <laughs> okay, that is a mustard seed. The tiniest possible seed that is around. Okay, I'm going to put that back. Okay. I'll leave that jar over there. That's a mustard seed. A grain of mustard seed was used by the, the farmers, and they would sow the, the seeds in ancient Israel. But it is less than a, a millimeter in diameter, this mustard seed. It is less than a, mil, a millimeter in diameter. And yet it can grow into a bush-like tree that, that stood as much as 12 feet tall. And apparently, what the scriptures are telling us is that birds enjoyed nesting in mustard trees. And it was common to see birds in, in these trees. So Jesus' parable illustrates how a tiny seed can grow into a large tree that gives shelter and gives nourishment to birds. What is the point? What is the point of Jesus' parable? Is he, is he teaching us a, a lesson on ecology here? No, not at all. Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of God will grow from a small, seemingly insignificant seed into something large that provides shelter and nourishment to all who enter into his kingdom. And Jesus' entrance into our world was seemingly small and insignificant in the beginning. Remember, he came into the world as a baby, dependent on his parents, into a stinky stable, not into a huge palace, even into a, a family that wasn't even married yet. He was born out of wedlock, and he grew up in a, in a really small little obscure village called Nazareth. Really, that was the backwater of Galilee at the time. And people even said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? When he was about 30 years old, he burst into the scene of national Israel because of his preaching and because of his miracles that he was able to perform. And people in Israel in those days were expecting God to appear suddenly and powerfully and crush all the, the opposition and they were expecting this kingdom to come. They had prayed about it. It had been prophesied in the Old Testament. They were expecting this Messiah. But in short, the people were expecting a political leader. They were expecting a military leader to deliver them, to save them. And when Jesus failed to fulfill their expectations, we know what happened. They, they ended up crucifying Jesus on a cross. In Jerusalem and then they buried him in a stranger's tomb and Jesus few loyal 
followers, they were devastated when Jesus was killed. In fact, they all ran away or denied any association with Jesus. But we know what the scriptures tell us. Three days later, God raised Jesus back to life. And a sign that he had succeeded in his mission. And who would ever imagine that that small little mustard seed would grow and flourish into the mighty kingdom of God. This is how J.C. Ryle, he describes this seed. Um, he says, it was a religion which seemed at first so feeble and helpless and powerless that it could not live. Its first founder was one who was poor in this world and ended his life by dying the death of a criminal on the cross. Its first devotees were a little company whose number probably did not exceed a thousand when the Lord Jesus left the world. Its first preachers were a few fishermen and publicans who were, most of them, unlearned and ignorant men. Its first starting point was a despised corner of the earth called Judea, a petty tributary province of the vast empire of Rome. Its first doctrine was eminently calculated to call forth the enmity of the natural heart. Christ crucified was to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Its first movements brought down on its friends persecution from all quarters. And if there ever was a religion which was a little grain of seed at its beginning, that religion was the gospel. That's a wonderful description. But yet we know that seed grew. Even though it was seemingly insignificant in size, it has flourished. It has grown and it continues to grow because there is life in the seed. And it grows not just because it has natural life, it has supernatural life. It has power from God itself. And it grows because nothing or no one can stop the kingdom of God from prospering. I read a book this week by Dan Mayer. It was called Witness Essentials. And there's some really encouraging statistics about the growth of the church around the world. It was encouraging to my soul. He says, in 1900, Korea had no Protestant church. But today, there are over 7,000 churches in just the city of Seoul, South Korea. Another point he makes, at the end of the 19th century, the southern portion of Africa was only 3% Christian. Today, 63% of the population is Christian. While membership in the churches in Africa is increasing 34,000 people per day. In India, 14 million of the 140 million members of the untouchable caste have become Christians. In China, it is estimated that there are now more self-avowed disciples of Jesus than members of the Communist Party. Even the most conservatives estimate, suggest that China will soon have more Christians than any other country. And across the planet, followers of Jesus are increasing by more than 80,000 per day. Another statistic, he says 510 new churches form every week. 
Now, I know statistics can often be wrong, but think of the principle that is here, folks. When Jesus first spoke these words in the scriptures that we are reading today, there were no, there were, there were no people in this world who called themselves Christians. Today, there are about 2 billion people in this world that call themselves Christians. That small little mustard seed has certainly flourished. And even more, think about throughout history that have professed faith in Jesus. So Jesus is, I think, proven in his story that the kingdom of God is, is going forth. And, and though it is small, it, it is going to grow. And it's going to grow into a great big tree that, that birds of the air will nest in. But the disciples, we know, they did not live to witness and see that big picture that we have the benefit of today and the fact of the matter is not all of us will will end up seeing what others will see and so how do we respond to the indifference or the rejection that the disciples faced how do we respond to that today when people reject the kingdom when they reject the message how do we respond? In discouragement? Or do we respond with hope? And Jesus is wanting us to respond with hope. He is encouraging his disciples. And he's wanting to encourage you and me this morning. And this is a very important message to us in our day. And the message is, do not despise the day of small things. Do not judge God's kingdom by its immediate reception and its effect in our hearts or the hearts of those who we long to see changed by the, the message of the gospel, by people who we've been praying for for years and their indifference or their rejection of the message that we proclaim. Don't give up hope. Don't lose hope. And that's what the Lord is speaking to us today. Do not despise the day of small things. There's a promise in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Remember, that's the vision that the Apostle John saw when he was able to put his head into heaven. And that's what all of us will see one day. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful image. This great multitude from every nation worshiping and praising the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another promise in Matthew chapter 16. Verse 18, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. That's a promise that Jesus made over 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is still in control. And he is still on the throne. 
and His gospel is still prevailing. God doesn't need our permission to fulfill these promises. His kingdom will prevail. His gospel is bringing in the kingdom. So first, the parable of the kingdom of God illustrates that Jesus is still triumphant and the invisible kingdom of God is still growing, even though we cannot see the big picture. But the second point this morning is from verse 20 to verse 21, and that is the gospel in the heart of a Christian. Look at verse 20, and again Jesus said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Until it was all leavened. So three measures of flour are about 50 pounds of flour and it would have produced enough bread to feed over 100 people. And leaven, of course, is a, is a substance. It's like yeast or, or baking powder that causes um, the, the dough to ferment and to expand. And just a very tiny bit of this yeast will permeate the entire batch of dough and it will cause it to rise. But the point of Jesus' parable of the leaven is to show the progress of the gospel in the heart of a Christian. So we've seen externally, and now we've seen the point that Jesus is making internally. And of course, there's a parallel meaning between the, the, the small mustard seed and the small leaven. And the smallness of this little pinch of, of leaven is not a problem. It's small, but it is powerful. It is small, but it is seriously effective, even though this lump of dough is so big. And the smallness of, of Jesus and his ragtag bunch of disciples was no problem for him with regard to the worldwide spread of the gospel. And the power does not depend on Jesus' followers. The power of God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've already seen the same point with regard to the seed. Here we see that, that once the contact is made, the power works from the, the inside out. And that is how the gospel of God works as He transforms the hearts of sinners. It's not our methods. It's not our programs that are going to change people. It is the seed of the gospel that is planted in the hearts of fertile soil that will grow and flourish and change from the inside out. And the wonderful point that needs to be made here is that we can't reverse this process. Once the gospel has been sown and that seed has, has planted, it cannot reverse. It cannot be unplanted. And once you've introduced leaven into the dough, it's, it, it does its thing. It, it continues to work. And once the gospel penetrates the hearts of those of whom God has chosen to save, it is effectual. It is effective to bring them to salvation. And then, of course, to progressive sanctification. As Paul explains in Romans chapter 8, he says in verse 29 and verse 30, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become 
conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom He predestined, these He also called, and whom He called, these He also justified, and whom He justified, these He also glorified. So our job is to bring this leaven of the gospel into contact with people around us, into contact with the, the mass of humanity that doesn't know about Jesus. That is our job. And then we are to allow the work of the gospel, the power of the gospel to do its job. The Bible promises that He will save them because salvation does not depend on the will of man, but on the sovereign will and the power of God. As Christians, our job is to make the invisible kingdom of God visible. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by sharing the gospel. We do that by speaking the truth of what Christ has done to redeem them. And then we leave the rest up to God. Charles Spurgeon, he makes a comment on this. He says, The parable assumes that the man had a garden that he desired to reap a crop. And sadly, many professing Christians go through life without any concept that the Lord has given them a corner of His field to sow and to produce a crop for Him. And He is the landowner to whom we all must give an account. And your garden consists of the people with whom you have contact. To influence them for the sake of the kingdom of God, you should desire to see God use you to produce a harvest for Him in your garden. Words of truth there. I fully agree with Him. The garden that God has given us consists of people with, wo with whom we have contact with. With the people in our workplace, with the people in our college, with the, the people in our supermarket that we visit all the time. With the people that cut our hair. That's the garden that God has given to us and we are responsible to sow the seed. And then Charles Spurgeon, he gives an illustration on, on how a crop is produced. He says a man goes to the, the nursery and he, he buys a package of, of seeds and he, he takes them home and he, he sets them on his shelf. But the package says that these seeds will produce tomatoes within so many weeks. And so the man waits and the time goes by and he doesn't see any tomatoes. So he goes back to the nursery and he complains that the seeds didn't produce any crop. And the nursery clock asks him, well, when did you plant the seeds? And the man says, plant them? You mean I have to plant the seeds? Well, obviously there's no such thing as a seed that will produce a crop without being planted. We can't keep seeds in a, in a jar and expect them to grow. We can't keep seeds in the packet and expect them to produce anything. And the way to produce a crop for God is to, is to sow the seed, is to share the gospel that He has entrusted us with. And the gospel will not have any effect until it comes in contact with sinners. The mustard seed will not grow as long as it is stuck in the jar. We are to plant the seed. We are to allow it to produce the life that it has inside of it. If we want to reap a crop, 
We need to sow the seed of the gospel into the hearts of sinners. This really is not a, a very technical parable. It's not very, very difficult to, to understand. But I think the application here is, is very difficult for people to appreciate or to even accept. I was reading again this week, trying to encourage my own heart of missionaries and ministers who have served the Lord without wavering, even in the midst of difficult circumstances and difficult trials. And one of those missionaries is William Carey. He was a pioneer missionary to India. And it took him seven difficult years to see his first convert. And then after that, there were all the problems of persecution of anyone who became a Christian because it meant that they were breaking their caste. So he had all of these problems and he had all of these trials. He went through many difficulties, even in his own ministry, in his, with his own family and with the people that were ministering with him. He faced many discouragements along the way, but he persisted. And why did he persist? I think, and I hope you know where I'm going with this, but let me read what an Indian author tells us of the reason why William Carey persisted. And this man, his name, of, his name is Vishal Mangalwadi. He's written many books, and he authors a book about William Carey. And this is what he says. He says, unlike most of us, Carey never gave up hope for India because he looked beyond man beyond society, to God's saving act in human history. And Kerry put his confidence for our salvation in the power of the gospel, that is, in the power of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to deliver us from our sin. Notice there where his confidence was. It was in the power of the gospel to save sinners. It seems William Carey understood the reason for Jesus teaching this parable about the small little mustard seed. He understood that the kingdom of God grows. Maybe not in our time, but God has a plan. Maybe in our time, but God has a plan and we need to trust His plan. And Whether we see the fruit or whether we don't, we need to trust that this mustard seed will grow, that the gospel will prevail. And the hope Kerry held on to, again, was not people. It was not methods. If it wasn't methods, if it was according to, 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 to today's strategies, he would have been a failure. He would have been kicked off the mission field. No converts in seven years. But his faith was in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just like the disciples needed to be reminded, so do we. God is growing His kingdom. It is the power of God for salvation. Romans 1 tells us, verse 16, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Just like the disciples, we too are being called to trust the gospel, to share the gospel in a world that will Reject it. 
in a world that may seem like evil is prospering, we are to put our faith not in the externals, but in the very gospel of Jesus Christ. And not to measure the kingdom of God by, by people's acceptance or people's rejection or by, or by numbers. If we do that, we're going to be discouraged. Our faith and hope and our encouragement must be in the promises of God, not in our methods. Remember the mustard seed. God is growing His kingdom. And God's kingdom is God's kingdom. And He builds His kingdom. And what He builds cannot fail. And the way that He builds His kingdom will not fail. It is our job to believe that. It is our job to respond to that. And to live according with that. With that hope that His message will prevail in this world. It's so important that we believe that, folks. And that's the whole purpose that we've been left on this earth. And that's the whole reason our, our life makes sense. And that's the whole reason why we've been given salvation, isn't it? It's so important that we understand that. Or we'll be tempted to be discouraged. Or we'll be tempted to, to follow other messages. Or to point people to other solutions. We might even be tempted to change the message, hoping for more effective decisions and more effective fruit. Why do we only have, how many viewers today do we have on the screen? 38. Why do we only have 38 viewers on screen today? Is that a reason to be discouraged? Maybe we should change our methods. Maybe we should change the lighting. No, no, let's not change the lighting. Maybe we should change the, the setting. Maybe, maybe we should do more. Maybe we should have some more dancing. Maybe we should have more, more songs. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> what we need to do is to trust the gospel. Is to preach the gospel that God has given to us. And to not lean on our methods. Not to lean on our understanding. But to trust the gospel and be faithful in preaching the gospel. Be faithful in preaching and sowing the seed that God has given to us. So don't be discouraged today. Don't despise the, the day of, of small things because there are things that look small in our eyes. God has His own timing, which we can only know in part. And all that He is doing through this pandemic it is to will and to work for His good pleasure. God is in control. He knows what He is doing. And if God can work good from the cross of Jesus Christ, He can work good from this COVID pandemic that we are facing at the moment. Jesus wants His disciples to be encouraged, and He wants you and I to be encouraged this morning. And Jesus says to us, the kingdom, in the end, will not be judged by others. But when God unveils this kingdom, when He shows to all of us what He's been doing, our breath will be taken away. Where we see people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, the multitudes, worshipping and adoring God, we will understand fully the power of of the gospel. Let's look forward to that day and let's work towards that day 
with this faith and with this confidence that his kingdom will prevail. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that encouraging word this morning. And Lord, for those who are on your side, Lord, we are encouraged. Those, Lord, who have turned from their sin to follow the Lamb are part of the kingdom of God. And we know, Lord, your word tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And despite the the troubles around us, despite the trials and the discouragement. We know your kingdom will come. It is a promise. And the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. So Lord, thank you that this is your church. You are the head of the church. And we have the privilege, Lord, of being members and serving in this local congregation and serving the people outside who don't know the gospel. So I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be encouraged to be more faithful with the gospel, even though we may not be seeing the results. We know you will, Lord, and we know your power is in the gospel. The power is there. We just need to be faithful, sowing the seed. So, Lord, we pray for your help. Help us to be more diligent. Help us to be more faithful with this wonderful gospel, Lord Jesus. I pray for those today who may be confused Lord or maybe even despondent this morning from what they've heard because they're not on your side they're not on the winning side Lord I know there are people who don't have this hope this living hope that we talk about and I pray for their hearts today Lord that you would grant them faith that you would grant them repentance and that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and they would put their faith in you the one who came from heaven to earth to save us to reconcile us to God, who paid a terrible price and died on that cross, but raised again from the dead. I pray, Lord, that they would believe in this wonderful gospel that you speak to us today, that you encourage us with today. So, Lord, we pray for your blessings upon us this week. May we be more faithful for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.